Going Linux, episode 414, listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want to send us feedback, we have a couple of ways to do that. One is by email. You can email us at goinglinux at gmail.com, or you can leave a voicemail if you like using the telephone. The number is 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, listener feedback. Hey, Bill. Hi, Larry. <laughs> I would ask you how you are, but it might take you a couple hours to answer. <laughs> Welcome the, back, and I'm glad you're feeling thank, a little bit better. Yeah, I'm, I've been down and out for a little while with some medical, but uh, yeah, slowly on the mend. So while I've been laying about doing nothing except complaining about <laughs> hurting, what have you been doing? Oh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I've been upgrading to the latest Ubuntu Mate, of course, uh, just so I can keep up on that. So I'm on 21.10 and all the new goodness that goes along with that. Not too many changes, a couple of significant ones, but um, nothing that is too obvious, more behind the scenes sorts of things. And it is working very well. Um, the other thing is our website and podcast were down for a day or two. Uh, and it turns out that every year my, uh, SSL Sir, secure socket layer certificate, which gives you the HTTPS in the web address needs to be renewed, installed and activated. I have an auto payment for the renewal, but my web host requires that in addition to paying them, I also have to submit a support ticket to request that they install and activate it every single year. I missed the deadline to get the ticket submitted, so I had to jump through a couple of extra hoops, but now it's all good. And uh, Apple Podcast and all of the other podcast repositories should have already caught up and, well, I know they have because I've tested it out. And I apologize for the inconvenience for our listeners who were trying to get the podcast at the time that the site was down. But we're back. Now, but wait a minute. So you have auto payment, but you still have to call them. Yeah, they, they, they'll take my money. Uh, they'll, they'll sell me stuff, but they won't actually install and activate it. Uh, the, 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 re the renewal of the certificate until I actually submit a support ticket and their support ticket system. I don't know whether it's broken or they've intentionally disabled it, but you can't start a new ticket. You have to reply to an existing ticket. And so I've got, had this ticket going on for uh, several years and I just replied to it and it took them a day or two to respond. They finally wow. responded and uh, yeah, well, you know, I before I got uh, laid out uh, with this, I had installed Elementary OS 
Okay. And, and I like I've liked what I've seen of it so far, which hasn't been much because I haven't really been doing anything. But uh, hopefully, uh, I'll have uh, time to go through it. I like some of the changes, mm-hmm. um, and um, I think they they're, they're, it's a good little it's a good little project. Um, and of course, it uses the uh, Ubuntu as its base. But yeah, I can. Uh, from what I've seen so far, it's it runs really really well. So no, I'll give you a good. more updated uh, review once I've. Uh, had the time to actually kick the tires and stuff, but uh, so far it's there's some of the things that used to bother me they fixed. So um, really liking the key bindings uh, that they've done. That yeah, really speeds things along. Yeah, I've heard other reviews, and uh, I've also heard that the key bindings are pretty useful. So that's good. Not that you can't do key bindings of on your own in just about any Linux distribution, but the fact that they have them ready to go, and if you learn them, it's it makes you more productive. That's great. Yeah, I uh, used to never use key bindings. I was just you know mouse and stuff. But you know at, at work and stuff, I we we you, you know, I found out that key bindings can make your life a lot easier. Oh yeah. So you, you can script a whole uh, bunch of stuff with a key binding. Yeah, <laughs> and believe me that I've I've been doing that, and I've noticed a huge uh, increase. It's like I should have done this a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, uh, just as an example of that, I had recorded an episode and created an article for our website on a key binding to switch displays. And that's kind of an example of some things you can do with key bindings. It actually runs uh, a whole script of stuff that, uh, uh, switches from, um, multiple displays to a single display and, back again sort of thing so uh yeah it that's just one example and you can do a lot of things with it another just a quick little news thing you know Mm -hmm. everybody knows i'm a gamer and uh i have a windows machine of course at work and at home so but uh i play a game called star citizen and uh they were designed they are you know it's in development but what really uh everybody's right now it's windows only but they they chose Vulcan, so it's going to actually make it much easier to port their games to Linux. Oh, good! And uh, so I'm excited about that because they just said it's just so fast, and uh, I've seen some of the tech demos that they've uh, done testing, and it's uh-huh. just gorgeous. But the uh, but the other news, uh, I know this listeners feedback, but. Uh, I, it seems like uh, uh, Donald Trump got in trouble with Macedon for not providing the uh, source code and changes that he made but for his new social network. So they huh. actually got 30 days. It was in the news. Uh, just And so they uh, said, hey, you use, um, you're using our software. Uh, and you know, and they made a statement like we we don't support this, but you know, since it's free, you, anybody can use it, even you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you've got to abide by the by the license agreement, right? And so, I mean, and that means any changes you make have to be submitted back to the project, right? So I'm kind of I'm watching that and to see they haven't replied, but I just figure, hey, look, you know, 
uh, he's going to use Macedon, and uh, that's a, a nice-looking uh, uh, project. They do a real good job. But yeah, it's like just follow. It. You could use it, but you have to, you know, you have to uh, play by the license. <laughs> right. No, that goes for anybody, and I'm sure that he's not the one actually doing the coding or the work no, to modify no, sure. it. And uh, you know, whoever is doing the work for him. Um, shame on you for not reading the license and knowing how this works uh, before you start developing on it. So, yeah, uh, yeah let's get that fixed and uh, share your modifications back. And if you don't want to share them back, don't use they what don't you've use developed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. All right. So anyway, I just want to bring it up, you know, that's the beauty of free software. software. You know, yeah. it's, put out, it's put out there for people to use. Okay, but. well, yeah, and I, I have a software pick for today. We'll leave it till the end as, as okay. is kind of our custom. Uh, shall we get into our emails? Yes. Okay, our first one is from John in Dallas, who has a virtual box error message. He writes, hi, Larry and Bill, this error is driving me nuts. I can't seem to resolve this issue. My Windows 10 Home wiped out my first installation with its updates now won't allow or open the virtual box. I just hate Windows 10, the worst OS I've ever had to use. I like VirtualBox, it just works, and Ubuntu and Mint worked great on Windows 7. The tech web doesn't address this issue. This BIOS is set for virtualization, okay. Thanks guys for any help or info, John and Dallas. And the, he provided us with the error message and it says something about failed to acquire VirtualBox.com object. The application will now terminate and an error in, and it gives a file path to VirtualBox.xml line 34 UUID, which is usually a device ID. Maybe it's for VirtualBox. And then there's, um, some other Windows-related error messages around VirtualBox, CCP file, uh, and some other confirmation that this thing has failed. So, yeah, um, since we're not Windows experts by any stretch, used to be a little bit of one, but not anymore, especially Windows 10. We can't help you with this one, uh, but thanks for the feedback and uh Thanks for letting us know that there may be an issue with Windows 10 and VirtualBox. Um, I'm not an expert in Windows by no means either. Um, but the only thing I could suggest is uh, maybe uh, seeing if your image is corrupted. The VirtualBox image? Yeah. Yeah. That he's using because I guess he's running VirtualBox on Windows. So. Mm -hmm. See, uh, download another image or uh, and uh, create a new um, uh, virtual uh, drive and see if you can install it and see if it runs. If that's if that makes if that works, then that the one that's causing the problems is just corrupted. Mm -hmm. That might right. help. Right. Exactly. So our next email comes from Legaspa, uh, commented on our li uh, listener feedback episode. Please excuse the lateness of my reply especially if there's been a comment since. I'm trying to catch up on your podcast episodes, and I don't want to rush ahead. <clears throat> I want to savor every moment. At timestamp 1116 of episode 391, 
notifications do not disturb mode, it was said effectively, don't forget to turn it back on. That's not the case for do not disturb, at least on my Pixel 3, which is an old phone. As the enclosed case uh, capture shows, you can set how long it stays on. You can also schedule specific uh, days, like when I go to church, it turns on between 10 and noon. Hope that helps. Ghetto Geek, Midwest District GEO, Geek Executive Officer, Detroit Minions Branch. <laughs> <laughs> really getting into the community there, uh, Ghetto Geek uh, Legaspa. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And I had to go back and listen to that part of episode 391 to remember what were we talking about. Uh, and it was kind of a comment around us talking back and forth and turning on do not disturb on phones so that it doesn't disturb our recording if i remember correctly and and if it wasn't on phones it was on something else and we made or i think i made the offhanded comment don't forget to turn it back on when we're done so yeah uh i wasn't even thinking about how things work on the phone especially on android phones and mm. Uh, yeah, if it turns itself back on, that's a good thing, uh, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for the feedback, though. All right, uh, Brad is providing us with our next email, and he says he's going Linux, literally. Hey, I've used Linux in the server space for years, but have never been able to switch full-time as my desktop system. I have been using Mac for the past 20 years, as close to real Unix on a desktop that I've been able to get. That said, been really intrigued by the framework laptop and been going through the exercise of identifying what apps would be a problem if I switched. Do you have any episodes in your backlog that covers this discussion? If not, could you discuss the topic in a future episode, perhaps even as an update? In any case, thanks. Love the show. Brad. So have you heard about or experienced anything around the framework laptop? Is that the one where you, that they've made it where you can upgrade it and uh, fix it yourself? Is that the one? Yeah, can, yeah. Okay. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah, I've read a little bit about it. It's, it's very intriguing. So, you know, they, they build everything so you can change it out. So, you know, instead of when you need a bigger hard drive, you don't have to pop 15 uh, screws and heat the glue to get the you know yeah. bottom off. So yeah, that's that's awesome. And and he's saying uh, what kind of apps? Um, I'm not quite sure what kind might of be a problem. For. Yeah, yeah, it's tough to tell. Uh, but as far as the framework's ability to run Linux in general. Since it is built with standard components that are Linux compatible, there shouldn't be any uh, applications that cause you a problem. I can't think of a single one that might uh, provide an issue due to hardware. Uh, the, the usual hardware suspects where there are application problems are things like uh, video cards or wireless cards. And I don't think that the framework has anything in it that would be a problem. So uh, I think you're good to go. Uh, I've heard on other podcasts, reviews of the framework 
running Linux and seems to be a phenomenal uh, platform for running Linux. And yeah, I, I, Brad, I think you're in good hands with the framework laptop. Yeah, I'm actually looking at their site now. I'm just looking at their, um, their, uh, statements on, you know, how, you know, it's, it's modular and upgradable, easy to repair. It's thin and light, really light. It's like 1.3 kilograms. Yeah, they got plenty of processors. Uh, I don't see Windows listed. I see 10 Home and 10 Pro. Um, but it, it, I'm just looking at the, the the components they list. It all looks like everything would work with Linux. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I should take another look at their website. Let's just... Yeah, let me go here and configure now and see if it gives me a... Uh, yeah, an option for Linux. Yeah, let me just look real quick. Windows 10 Home, Performance, blah, blah, blah. Nope, I don't see... Oh, choose a different operating system. Let's see what that says. Base and performance configuration ship with Windows 10 Home pre-installed and professional ships with Windows 10 Pro pre-installed. You can also load your own operating system later, like a Linux distribution. So you can't order it with Linux, but you can install, and they apparently are encouraging that. Oh, good. Well, it looks very Mac-like, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it certainly does. And it, uh, you know, 13 and a half inches, nice and light. It sounds like a, a great option for somebody looking yeah. for a laptop, for sure. It looks like it's easy to repair, so that's that's always nice. Right, and easy to repair usually means easy to install Linux. Yeah, that's right. Something doesn't work, just replace it. <laughs> exactly. So I'm going to put the link to the Framework laptop in our show notes here. Framework. There we go. Our next email, uh, Jim needs help finding a distro. Larry and Bill, I have been using a Debian distro point Linux. It was working just fine until shortly after the pandemic started. Support had stopped for it then, and I have been looking for a replacement ever since. I like the Mate desktop. It works best for me. I have tried Ubuntu Mate and Linux Mint and have so far rejected them because of the permissions they assign files. They give read, write, and execute permission to everybody for everything in my home directory. This seems to be a serious security risk for my system if it is cracked into maliciously. Also, whenever I wish to open a text file, I have to choose from sele uh, selections on a pop-up window to open the file to read it. That is extremely annoying. I know how to change permissions using chmod in the terminal, but that is a lengthy process with all the directories and files I have on my computer. Is there some way in the install process to select the permissions as I want them, or is there a distro out there that uses Mate and gives no permission to anyone other than the user? I have been using Linux since 2007 and listening to the Going Linux podcast since 2011. Keep up the good work. Everything I know about computers I owe to Windows, it drove me to Linux. Jim. <laughs> so... Larry, you do a lot more with Mate. Um, 
Is there a way to change permissions easily? Uh, there is. And, you know, using chmod is one way to do that from the command line. Uh, if you wanted to, you could uh, select your home directory or directories within your home directory to uh, on, in uh, Kaha, the uh, file manager, and right-click on the folder name or the directory name and select properties and change the permissions to remove the uh, execute flag and also choose to apply it to folder the, the files within the folders. And that will go through everything in your home directory and remove the execute. Now, if you have any executables in your home folder that you want to remain executable, you have to go back and look for those files and, and make the changes. However, that will do it from a graphical perspective. Uh, you can do that from the command line as well using change mod. And I'm sure from what Jim says, he knows how to use that. So we'll just leave that to him. Um, now, back to what is the issue here? Why are the files coming over with the execute flag set? Uh, and I've run into that as well, um, especially when I make a backup and put it on an external drive that is formatted with NTFS. Uh, when I simply copy them back, uh, or even I think when I'm, I, I usually use rsync for my backups and uh, rsync to retrieve the files back in. Either that or drag and drop, depending on what goes on. But uh, even when I'm using rsync, sometimes uh, if the external drive is formatted in TFS, everything has an executable um, a flag set. So I have had in the past to go and do this from the file manager and change all the file permissions. And that's why I can cite how to do that without thinking <laughs> I had done that multiple times because I had an external uh, drive that was formatted NTFS that I used as a backup. When I started using native Linux formatting on that external drive, no problem restoring using rsync or restoring using the drag and drop method Everything comes over with its permissions and I don't have to worry about it. So you might want to look for those kinds of things. And there are some flags in the rsync command, if you decide to use that, that allow you to retain the file permissions uh, when you make the backup and retain the file permissions when you restore the backup using rsync. So Jim, you might just need to learn another command, rsync, if you don't already know it. And just double check the formatting of the drive for your files and make sure that you're not using the NTFS formatting. I know it's very tempting to use NTFS for uh, purposes of making it compatible with Linux and Windows and macOS, but yeah, it's uh, sometimes it gives you more trouble than it's worth. So um, yeah, just uh, think about that. Give that a try. Let us know how it goes, if this fixed anything for you. And if not, maybe we can dig into it a little deeper and find out what else might be causing this for you, Jim. All right. Okay. Our next email is from Stefan, who wrote us with an addition to his email feedback to episode 410 and wine and our latest listener feedback episode. 
Hello, Larry and Bill. Some more details about my usage of Wine and Debian. When I started with Linux, Debian, and Wine, I used Wine 3.0.3 from the Debian repository. But I switched very soon to the developer edition of Wine. At the moment, it is Wine 6.16, but every two weeks, a new developer edition gets released. I use it with the following programs that I need for my hobby, astronomy. AstroArt, image processing and astronomical images. Orbitase, calculating positions of comets. Guide 7 or 8, planetarium program. Astrometrica, measuring astrometric positions of comets or asteroids. Photoline, standard image processing program. And there is an application database on aptdb.winehq.org with reports on how an application runs with wine. Best regards, Stefan. Okay. okay. Yeah, thanks for the update. Um, good to know that all of these astronomy uh, applications are available and run particularly well on, on wine. be interesting to find out if there are any available now on Linux to replace these. So we could look in the uh, Alternative 2 website and see if there are any in particular. I assume that since you're using these, it's either because you're familiar with them or because there aren't any alternatives on Linux that provide the same functionality, but it's worth a look. Yeah, wouldn't hurt. Yep, thanks, Stefan. Thank you. Uh, Our next one comes from Bill. Who has an issue with his Samsung printer? I ha- he writes, I have a dual boot Dell Optiplex 790 desktop and a Windows 10 and Linux Mint Cinnamon 20.2 and it runs the Center Web Browser. Having di- difficulty using my Samsung M2020W printer with uh, Mint uh, works well with Windows. Very new to Linux scene and installing printers. Maybe you could give me some pointers. I listen to your great podcast. Well, thank you, Bill. Um, printers are always tricky. Yeah, they they are. And what I would do is I would go to the Samsung website and see if they have a driver that you can download. It would be a proprietary driver. But sometimes companies like Samsung provide Linux drivers, proprietary drivers uh, formatted for Linux, uh, and check to see if there is one available for your particular printer. Uh, That might solve your problems. And if not, um, I did check this on the, uh, maybe I didn't, let me check on the compatibility website openprinting.org. That's what we're looking for. Printer manufacturer Samsung. Here it is. And the model is M2020W. Show this printer. Black and white laser printer, max 1200 by 1200 DPI. Works perfectly. Recommended driver is SPLIX. So um, we'll include a link in the show notes for the compatibility list on openprinting.org. It says it works perfectly, but it does have quite a few notes. So you may need to 
do something special to make it work. So that's why we'll include a link in the show notes. All right. Our next email is from Biku, who commented re-episode 413, Screen Switching on Ubuntu Mate. Hi there, Larry and Bill. I'm a relatively new listener to your show, and I think you guys are doing a great job. The way you guys present various aspects of GNU Linux systems is so easygoing and so easy to understand. It's a hard thing to do, but you guys have seemingly mastered this art. Kudos. In episode 413, Larry talked about switching to an external monitor via keyboard shortcut using a bash script. Definitely very useful for many people. There is one more way to achieve similar, if not the same, results. This is a distribution and desktop environment agnostic way, and it should work almost everywhere. First, you need to install a package called AutoRander, A-U-T-O-R-A-N-D-R. I'm going to use apt-get in this example so the listeners on non-Debian Ubuntu will have to modify this command as per their package manager. So the command to get it is sudo apt-get install autorander. Once you have installed this package, please ensure that you have your external monitor not connected when you run the following command. And the command to set up without an external monitor is autorander space dash dash save space mobile. And that saves a profile called mobile that is for your external monitor disconnected. Now, connect your external monitor and adjust its settings, resolution, refresh rate, etc. via your system screen monitor configuration utility if you wish. And once you're done, run this command. Autorander space dash dash save space docked, D-O-C-K-E-D. That creates a profile for your docked scenario and however you've configured the displays for that profile. That's it. From now on, Autorander will automatically do the switching for you. Hope this will be of help to some listeners. Thanks for the show and keep up the great work. Biku. Uh, well, thank you. And I took a look at Autorander and have installed it and am now using it. In fact, I have modified my script to use Autorander because it saves a lot of steps in the script allows me a little more flexibility. I have four different profiles, uh, one for just my laptop screen, one for my laptop uh, and the external monitor, one for my laptop and a second external monitor for when I connect to that, and one for one of the external monitors, the one I use normally, uh, alone. So the laptop disabled and the external monitor enabled. Uh, so, and I've written a script for that and attached that to a, a keyboard shortcut so that I can easily switch back and forth between any of those profiles without having to go to the command line. So just from the um, shortcut key. So thanks, Pico. Great. Uh, and we'll include a link to the man page of auto render for people interested in learning a little bit more about how that works and some of the other commands. So our next email comes from Highlander, and he has WinKix operational. Hello, Bill and Larry. I got the Windows subsystem for Linux up and running, 
Though screenshots show that seamless mode of operation, I might include other Linux distros in the future. This stuff is so different from either an emulator or a full install right down to the bare metal. What you are seeing in the screenshots is a compatibility layer. What got the floodgates opened and the uh, GUI running was turning on the Windows subsystem for Linux, then upgrading to the WSL2. Annie Lee has a, a link in the show notes. If the Kali system has any trouble, like I did the first time around, you can reset the entire Kali app by going to Apps and Features inside Windows 10 and reset the Kali app. This will save a lot of time. You will not need to download either the app or the distro all over again. If you want to start over and retry installing WinCAX. Today I reset the Kali application from within Windows, then retried installing WinCAX, then I entered the command into the Kali terminal sudo-kex-sl-s. The, the GUI version of Kali WinCAX come up. I don't know what I will do with this compatib compatibility layer, but I got it running now and I figure out w what to do with it later. Regards, Highlander. So he's running uh, like a Kali on top of Windows? Yeah, so the Windows subsystem for Linux is... Uh a compatibility layer that allows you to run Linux within Windows, kind of a virtual oh, okay. machine kind of thing. And what this setup does is allows you to have Kali Linux as the version of Linux, including the graphical user interface. Oh, okay. Uh, which, you know, the first implementation of the Windows subsystem for Linux, WSL, was command line only. Uh, WSL2 allows you to do the graphical portion of it, and this is an easy way to get it up and running if you want to use Kali Linux as your um, as your Linux of choice. So if you want to do uh, security tests and that sort of thing from uh, Linux distribution running from within Windows, that's one way to do it. I'm not sure why you wouldn't just install Kali but <laughs> on, on your okay. hardware, but you could do it this way. Yeah, that's kind of cool. If nothing else, it's cool. So that's good. Thanks, Highlander, for the update, and uh, glad you got that running. All right, our last email is from Mark, who provided a suggestion for a distro review or for Bill to distro hop and give a report. Hi, Larry and Bill. Long-time listener and subscriber to the podcast. Great show. I have a suggestion for either a show topic or for a distro for Bill to try since he gave up on Manjaro a while back. I have used Solus Linux for several years now and find it an interesting Linux distribution. Anyway, keep up the good work, Bill73, Mark, in Charleston, West Virginia. Hmm, might have to take another look at that. Yeah, I know you've looked at, I think you've looked at Solus in the past. I don't think we've done a review on it. I tried running it and I didn't have a lot of luck, but I have different hardware now, so it might run a little better. I'll check yeah, it out. Absolutely. No, that's good. Okay, well, thanks for that. Yes. And as previously mentioned, I have an application pick. 
And this one you may find useful, Bill, if you're so inclined. It's called App Outlet. And App Outlet is much like the um, software boutique for Ubuntu Mate and the Ubuntu repository, the Snap repository, the App Image repository, and the Flatpak repository, all accessible from a single application. So we'll have a link in the show notes to appoutlet.github.io. And uh, I'm running it, they have other packages, but I'm running it from the app image. And when I first ran it, it offered to, it it saw that I had Snap installed, which comes pre-installed on Ubuntu Mate, but it also saw that I did not have the other package format, Flatpak, installed. And it offered to install what's necessary to run Flatpak. Click a button, it's installed. Now I have access to everything in the App Outlet repository, which they purport to be everything in each of the other um, repositories. And I can install them from that application quite easily. Just click on it and install and away you go. And whether that's an app image or a snap or whatever, you can install it. So it's it's really great. Uh, I have uh, tried a couple of different things from there. And they run just fine. And it's um, a very interesting way of collecting everything into a graphical user interface that allows you to pick software from multiple places. Now, when I run it, uh, anything that's in the Snap Store has graphical icons that show up. Anything that's an app image does not. And I think that's because the packages themselves don't have the graphical uh, icon. Uh, as part of the package. Uh, And I haven't tried anything with Flatpak yet. uh, And I don't recall whether they have the icons on them or not. But so it's a little early in its development phase, I think, but it seems to function just fine. And it installs what you expect it to install. I found a couple of applications that are listed that actually are blank. So it may be picking up some old ones that have been deprecated. But hey, that's part of the development process. But if you're looking for something, especially something around those app images and flat packs that uh, are very difficult to find in the uh, repositories themselves, app images are, are particularly difficult to find, I'm finding. Uh, even though there's a listing, it's in a, an HTML table that you have to Uh, control F through. You have to go and find what you're looking for. And if you don't know the name, it's hard to find. So this gives you something that's browsable and you can install it right from the application. And it seems to work just fine for anything I've tried. Cool. It uh, sounds like that's an awesome little tool. Yeah, absolutely. So they have a Debian package, an RPM package, an app image, and a targz package or a targz file that you can download and install onto your system depending on what you're using. And like I said, I'm just using the app image version, so nothing to install. Just download the file, make it executable, run it, and it works. There you go. All right. Okay, are we done, Bill? 
I think we're done. Okay. Well, again, welcome back. Glad you're Thanks. feeling somewhat better. Get yeah. even better. I hope to have you up to 100% soon-ish. I hope so, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So take it easy. Relax. Uh, I know this is the first first day back to the podcast. Uh, you're back at work on light duty, and uh, this is going to be a bit of a trying time for you. So uh, take as much time as you need, and if uh, our recording needs to be delayed for a little bit, um, I'm sure our listeners will understand. All right. I appreciate that. But we'll see how things go. Okay. All right, Bill. Thanks. So yes. our our next episode, we're not sure. We had plans to do a review of Pop! OS, and Bill mentioned another distribution he wants to review. Uh, we, that may come before the Pop! OS, depending on how things go. Uh, I had Pop! OS installed in a virtual machine image before I upgraded and forgot to copy it over, so I've got to reinstall. Uh, but I did a little testing, not enough to do a review episode on but we'll uh, check that out see see where things lead us hopefully we'll have uh, a district review of some sort by our next recording but until then you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes as well as links to download and subscribe we provide the website for computer users who just want to use linux to get things done and if you like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast community on community.goinglinux.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.